in week two of this strategic Bible reading plan called The Story. Now, if you haven't had a chance to buy this, uh, this book, I want to encourage you to do so. I don't have the, the book cover on it, but we sell them at that back table for 10 bucks. You can buy them on Amazon if you don't want to buy them here. It doesn't matter to me as long as you get it and read it. But what the story is, is it's not the Bible in paraphrase. It's the Bible in chronological order. Like if you're brand new to reading the scripture, or reading the Bible is something that you wanted to do, and you were just to pick up your Bible and start in Genesis and go through Revelation, it's not going to take you long to get really confused. What the, what the story does is it keeps the Bible narrative going throughout the entire thing. It puts it in chronological order, and it cuts out some of the stuff. It doesn't mean that it's not important, but it keeps the story going. This is what I've heard from several of you. I'm, it makes sense now. I'm beginning to understand what the scripture is saying. And so I want to encourage you uh, to jump in and follow us. We're in chapter two. Next week, of course, we'll be in chapter. Wow, you guys are so smart. Chapter three, it's going to be really great. Um, But I want to share with you three things from last week because these thoughts kind of continue. The first one is this. God is the main character of the story. The first four words of the story start off or the first four words in Genesis, chapter one, verse one, say in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God. God is the main character of the story. And we said God is the main character of the story, not you. And that was a big light bulb moment for a lot of us because we thought everything revolves around our wants, our needs, our desires. Not true. It's, it's taking our lower story, all the things that we are doing down here on planet Earth and the life that God has given us, and then aligning it to his upper story, what God is doing in the bigness of his story, in the bigness of his plan, because the story is about him, not about ourselves. The second thing was this. There are central themes found throughout the story, throughout the Bible. Not just themes in a certain book, not just ideas in a certain chapter, but themes that you will begin to see. We're trying to identify them now and then be able to point back to them. Hey, there's going to be a time when we're going to be able to say, hey, do you remember back in Genesis? Do you remember back in chapter 1? Like we're identifying central themes so that will help you connect these themes throughout all the Scripture. And the third thing is this, that ever since the garden, God has been pursuing, right? He's been pursuing this relationship with mankind. If you're coming in the doors today, right, and you feel like you're distanced from God, you feel like God is against you, not for you, here's what I want you to hear. God is pursuing you. He is chasing you. He is trying to track you down. He's not going to put you in a headlock and make him follow, but he is pursuing you, hoping that through, uh, when, you, when he reveals, right, that, that we would have a chance to follow. I believe this today, that today is some of your day of salvation, that today is the day that, you're gonna, that God will reveal this to you and you would begin to follow. What a beautiful day to have on Father's Day. Uh, in the story, we're talking about Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. Some of you know this, right? The people who don't go to church go, what's wrong with you crazy people, right? If you're in church for a long time as a kid, then they teach you really silly songs that no matter how hard you try, you can't shake it, right? It's like MC Hammers can't touch this. Like now you've got that in your head for the rest of the day, right? So I want to start off with the, 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 the uh, central theme for chapter two. There's going to be five today, right? And I kind of offered a challenge through uh, Facebook and the email. Could you identify the five central themes by reading chapter two? Here's the first thing that we're going to start off with, that God loves to use the underdog. God loves to use the underdog. Enter Abraham. Jewish tradition holds this about Abraham. Abraham grew up in a, in a home, uh, in a business even within his home, where the, his father made and sold idols. So uh, the last several weeks I've been sharing in the teaching where Joshua, a future leader for Israel, will stand up in front of the people and he's like, choose this day who you will follow, right? If you're not going to follow God, that's fine, but choose. Like, are you going to go back, he says this, are you going to go back and worship the, the pagan gods of your ancestors or will you follow 
God, the one true God. And then he makes that famous statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, when he talks about, do you want to, if you're not going to follow God, if you want to go back and follow the gods of your ancestors, well, who's he talking about? Joshua is talking about Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He is talking about Abraham's parents and Abraham's grandparents. And so Abraham grew up in this home where his dad made and sold idols. And here's the story of the Jewish tradition, is that as Abraham grew up in this home, he began to question this idea of many gods, polytheism where there was a God for crops, and there was a God for fertility, and there was a God for the sunshine, and a God for the rain. And you worship so many different kind of deities. And his father made his living by building idols and statues to these deities so that people could buy them, place them on their mantles, and worship them, and offer sacrifices to them, and all these types of things. Well, as Abraham began to grow up, he questioned that belief and began to have this understanding that there's just one true God. Because remember, Abraham uh, might have known uh, a guy named uh, Noah. And maybe not Noah specifically, but he heard the stories that Noah had passed down after the flood. And, and Abraham, if the timeline's correct, he would have known Shem, one of Noah's children. Their lives would have overlapped. And so he could have had firsthand knowledge of the story of God and what God did and why God did it. And so he begins to say, you know what, I don't think there's many gods. I think there's this one true God, the, the God that we read about or hear about in the creation story. And so one day his dad is out of, the, out of the shop, and Abraham takes a hammer and he smashes, this is based on the story, he smashes every idol in the shop except for the biggest one. And he puts the hammer in the biggest one's hand. And his dad comes home from uh, whatever he was been doing back to the shop, and he looks around and he sees all of his merchandise broke and shattered. And he says, Abraham, what happened? Abraham goes, you wouldn't believe this. While you were out, the idols got into a big debate on who was the greatest. And the big guy won. It's just true. So this is the Jewish tradition. And the dad goes, that's ridiculous. Because these aren't real. They have no power. They can do nothing. And Abraham says to his father, then why in the world would you worship them? And that was when Abraham was a young boy. And as he grew up, he began to preach the best that he could or try to uh, gospel or proclaim his idea of one God, not many, but it wasn't a popular message. When he was 75 years old, we get introduced to Abraham in the, in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 12. Remember the first theme? God loves to use an underdog. Think about Abraham. Comes from a family that's not loyal to God. They're loyal to whatever will make them money. Abraham is 75. He's not a young stud. He's not in his, in his late teens. He's not in his 20s. And he has no children. And so when God looks down and he's like wanting to pick somebody to start a nation, does it make any sense to have somebody that doesn't have a firm footing yet on what, who God really is, is really, really wrinkly and old, and has no kids? Now, why in the world would God choose Abraham? Theme number one, throughout Scripture, you will find God picking the least likely of candidates to do something that is the most significant. So if you're in this room and you're like, man, God can never use me. No, you're exactly the one that God wants to use. God loves to use the people that don't have it all together. Why? Because when it happens, people don't look at the perfect person and go, well, of course it happened. Look at them. They look at you. And they look at me and they go, well, golly, it had to be God. <laughs> like, I really believe that when the day comes and we get to see Samson, one of the strongest men in the entire Bible, he won't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He will look like me. Because the only way he could do what he could do through God's mighty power, I believe, is people go, God's got to be with you because you look like olive oil, not Popeye. Right? I, I believe this. Right? Too bad. Now, in your picture Bible, if you have one, he's big and he's muscular. I bet he was a weenie. I do. 
God loves to use the underdog. My friend Chad Wood used to say this all the time. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Man, I'm telling you. Quit telling God what he can't do. Quit telling God, oh, you can't use me. Quit, quit speaking against what God is trying to position you for. Just walk through the doors that God has prepared for you. Expect his blessing. Expect his favor. Don't expect him to try to knock you out every time that you, cut, you try to accomplish something. Man, God loves to use the underdog. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 5, this is page 13 of the story. This is where we get introduced to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I will, uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be a blessing through you. What God is doing right here is he is establishing a nation. What, this is really important for the church in the 2015. I'm telling you, some of this stuff is really, you're going to see stuff that shows up today in our culture, in our times, what you read on the news, hear on the news. It plays back to Genesis chapter 12. God makes promises right here to Abraham that are forever lasting. God is not a promise breaker. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to create a nation through you. You guys know who that nation is? It's Israel. Yes, that's right. It's Israel. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless Israel, your descendants, and I'm going to curse, I'm going to go against those who curse Israel. This is a huge political hot topic, right? And you have to look at the Scripture. And what does God say? You don't find another theme in Scripture where God says, hey, you know that promise I made back to uh, your forefather Abraham way back in 12? Yeah, I was just kidding. You don't, you don't find that. He says, I will bless you. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will, uh, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you or through you. How in the world could God bless the entire earth through one man and his descendants? You want to lean over to your neighbor and tell him what you think? His name starts with a J. Jesus. Yeah, just put the J and then Jesus. It's Jesus, right? Because Jesus is going to be a direct descendant all the way down through Abraham and through this one man, his sacrifice on the cross, it will be a complete blessing for the entire world for those who, right, are revealed and accept and follow his way. He's a blessing. For some, he's a curse. But his intent was to be a blessing. I want to introduce you to two themes that come out of this little passage here. Theme number one, of course, was the underdog. Theme number two is this. This is where you begin to see, right, the central theme of if you do, then I will. Man, come on, have you, anybody ever see this theme elsewhere in Scripture? If you do, then I will. Here's what we love. We love the then I will part. But over and over in Scripture, what you will find when you begin to read the story and begin to uh, look for those transferable principles in your own life, you will see God say to you through the words on the page that are alive and, and, and just like the sword that cuts into your life, the, the words will say to you, if you do this then I will do this. If you do this, then I will do my... Here's the thing. A lot of times, again, we want the, oh God, I want all your blessings, but I don't want to do what you asked me to do. And some of you are frustrated believers because you are waiting for God to dump all this favor and blessing that you read about in Scripture without being obedient in any way. Guys, listen, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Look at central theme number three. Biblical faith. I've been talking about this on the blog a little bit. Biblical faith is this, trusting that God will do what he promises. Trusting that God will do what he promises. Some of you have faith, it's just not biblical faith. Some of you are trusting in other things that are not the promises of God. 
If you do, then I will. What we're going to see is Abraham was a man who understood this, and he was a man who had biblical faith. When you pray, how do you pray? Do you just throw up words, or do you pray Scripture? This week in Story Group, we're not going to get to it this morning, but this week in Story Group, we're going to talk about Jacob. We're going to talk about Jacob, right? His name was later changed to Israel. And Jacob is a guy, who we're going to give an example, who prayed Scripture. He prayed promises that God had made. He's facing a lot of trial. He's facing a lot of struggle. And as he's praying, he repeats words that God had said. That's praying biblical faith. It's not wishful thinking. Some of us think that if we close our eyes tighter, clench our fists a little harder, if more tears fall, if we say, hey, I'm going to try harder. Guys, that's faith, but that's not biblical faith. That's sometimes wishful thinking. Biblical faith is knowing what the Word says, knowing what God has said to you, and then holding God to His promises. Let's see how Abraham did that. Hebrews 11.8, it's page 14 of the story. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. What is Hebrews 11 referring to? What we just read out of Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, pack up your stuff and move. Pack up your stuff and go. He didn't tell him where. He didn't give him the GPS coordinates. He just said, go. If you go, then I will. Are you connecting the dots? And Abram, because he believed in the promises of God, biblical faith, he did what God said. He did what God said. We read about that in the book of Hebrews. Back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 6, and Genesis 13, 5, page 14. He says this, continuing the promise, To your offspring I will give this land. Now, what is he referring to? Check out again, Hebrews chapter 11, on your bulletin right above it. He says, Abraham was sent or called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. I think this is an interesting thing, that God takes him to the place that he has yet to give him, but says one day, right, if you, then I, this will be yours. People in the room, here's the thing. Sometimes we have our toes in the very promises of God. Young person who's trying to get their life figured out and you kind of get a taste or a glimpse of what your life could be like, sometimes God allows you to see your inheritance and says, it will be yours if you, then I. But we say, no, I want it now. And I don't want to have to work for it. And I don't want to have to grow. And I don't want to have to learn discipline. And I don't want to have to learn uh, perseverance and endurance. I just want it. I just want it. I just want it. Here's the thing that you will see. Abraham is not ready for the land yet. What's even harder in this story is Abraham actually never even really gets to enjoy it. His descendants are the ones. By faith. To your offspring, I will give this land. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. What's that last word? For a limited time? Forever. Do you want to know what most of the battles in the Middle East are fought over right now? Land. Space. Why? Well, we're going to discover why. What happens way back in Genesis has an effect on us today in 2015. Hebrews 11.9, page 14 of your story, says this, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is what? Don't miss this. This is a great little, this is free, right? Some of you are just so focused on building your thing. And you, and you can. A lot of you have built your kingdom and you built your stuff. Abraham understood that it was God who was going to be the architect and builder. What are, you, what are you trying to do 
What are you trying to start, trying to be so effective in that God has never asked you to do? And it's been a good thing, but it's not the God thing. Because God or is the architect, he builds these type of these types of um, opportunities and movements. Abraham, all Abraham had to do to receive this promise, check this out, was to be obedient to what God said. Abraham, if you do this, then I will. And how often we say, oh, I have to do and I also have to do this. I have to. No, no. How are you just obedient to the very thing that God has put in front of you right now? And you're like, oh, I got to build this. I got no, 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 no. If God has said to you, go, and you're being obedient, you've got to trust that he's going to take care of that. Now, if God hasn't said go, and you've out just, you're have just out going anyway, and trying to do this and trying to do that, yeah, you've got to work really, really hard. Man, when God's the architect, he's going to build a firm, a firm structure. I want to introduce central theme number four. We've got the underdog, right? We've got the if, you, then I, and we've got the biblical faith. Here's the fourth central theme. There's always an obstacle between the present and the promise, or the promise and the present. There's always an obstacle. There's, catch this. There is always, not sometimes, there is always an obstacle between the promise and where you currently are. Nobody gets to skip go and collect $100 or $200. There, are, there is something that you're going to have to go through that you don't want to go through, by the way, right? It's not, you mean I have to eat 12 cookies and then I get it? Oh, this is challenging. I've never had 12. No, it's pain. It's frustration. It's the thing that will make you almost want to quit. And the only reason you persevere is because God said to persevere. Because here's the thing. Here's the problem. Abraham is now close to, uh, he's getting, he's, I think he's 86. And God has made this promise to him about a nation. And his wife is only getting older. He's only getting older and he still has no children. He's 86, by the way. And you thought it was late in your 40s to start having kids, right? Here he is, 86. And so Sarah, his wife, gets ahead of God. Because she says, I know God's made this promise to our family, but I'm a little worried. And so what does she do? She goes to Hagar, which is, which is her chief. The Bible says slave in some translations. She is her chief maid. She's like uh, the chief of staff for Sarah. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in story group, but there's this whole expedition that happens in Egypt between Abraham and Sarah. And on the way out, Pharaoh gives, the Jewish tradition holds that Pharaoh gives Hagar to Sarah and to Abraham. Hagar was one of Pharaoh's daughters. Hagar was a princess in Egypt who is now working for or belongs to Sarah and Abraham. And so Sarah, because there's no kids and she's not able to get pregnant, she calls uh, Hagar in and then Hagar and, and her and Abraham go do what they do. And out comes this little boy nine months later by the name of Ishmael. And this is something that we're going to spend some time on this week in story groups. So if you want to come and talk about how a whole nother nation gets started, right, how there's a lot of fighting in the Middle East between the Arab world and the Jewish person, well, you have Isaac, who's going to be born when Abraham is 100, when Sarah, Abraham's 100 years old, and Ishmael. And the scriptures say that Ishmael will always be at odds with his brothers. With his brothers. Who are his brothers? Isaac and Isaac's descendants. It's really interesting how way back in scripture, how it applies so much to today, right? It's amazing when you begin to read, you're like, what? Yeah, it's right here. It's right here. There's always an obstacle. The obstacle is that he doesn't have children. So here comes Ishmael, and then lo and behold, when he's 100 years old, God blesses Sarah, just as he said he would, with Isaac. And um, check this out. Isaac's growing up. 
Genesis 15, 6, page 16 of the story. He took him outside. God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and and credited it to him as righteousness. Notice that. Why did God credit Abraham as righteousness, as righteous? Because he did a lot? No, 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 because he believed in what the Lord had said. Why do we doubt God and his word? It was the very thing that counted Abraham as righteous. Romans 4.22, page 16 of your story. Yet he did not waver, he being Abraham, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. How do you obtain some, some form of righteousness? Just start believing that God does what he actually says. Start believing in Romans 8.28 when God says, All things work for the good who uh, love God and are called according to His purpose. See, some of you, your life is in uh, shambles right now, and it's hellacious right now. You love God, you know you're called according to His purpose, but you will not rest on that Scripture. You say, oh, there's no way this could ever be reconciled. And every time you think that and every time those words come out of your mouth, you're calling God a liar. And when you call God a liar, guess what? He doesn't count you as righteous. But when the worst things happen in your life, and you say, Lord, my lower story is so jacked up, but I trust your upper story, and I will pray, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I don't know how in the world you're going to do it, but I believe this scripture. That's praying biblical faith. Oh, you never know. You just may be counted as righteous. In the eyes of God. Page 19, Genesis 22, 1 through 2. Remember I talked about that obstacle? This is the part that we don't really like. We don't like obstacles and we don't like testing. Check out this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. What? Lord, I misunderstood that whole circumcision piece that missed up my ear earlier on. Uh, you can read about that. We won't talk about it in story group. But you want me, okay, I've already done that. Now you want me to do what? Yeah, I want you to take your son, your only son. You guys connect in any language with the New Testament? I want you to take your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Central thing number five, the last one is this. God will test your faith. God will test your faith. Now, your faith has an opportunity to grow at all times. Know this. Your faith has an opportunity to grow all times. But there are times when God will test your faith. Let me say it again. Not everything that you experience is a test. Okay? James writes in James 1, chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 2, When all sorts of trouble come your way, it's an opportunity for great joy because joy brings apart endurance. And it just talks about how your faith can be prepared and your faith can be strengthened through trials. And sometimes God will test your faith. And here's the way that I think it's good for us to hear this. Sometimes God will test your loyalty. Sometimes God will test to see if you really are for him or if, 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 you're, if you're just kind of been given some uh, verbiage and some language to make you sound good. Like sometimes God will f- let you find yourself at a party to see if you're going to be loyal to him or loyal to them. 
Sometimes God will allow you to find yourself at a block party or at a game with your kids where all the adults are around and for a moment to happen where all of a sudden your loyalty is tested. Are you for him or are you for them? Sometimes stuff happens in your life that you weren't prepared for or you didn't see coming and every emotion is in you that is just, it's so frustrating and it's because you have no control over it. And all you can do is go with it and pray and hope and trust in the Scripture. And it is a test to see if your lower story will stay aligned to his upper story when you're in the valley of life. How easy it seems to be that we it's follow God and cheer God on when we're on the mountaintops and everything's going great, right? Oh, but man, when you're in that valley, I gotta, I'll give you a little devotion this week you can study. The 23rd Psalm. In the 23rd Psalm, it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, right? It's like the sheep. Right? The sheep are talking about their Lord. Oh, the Lord is this and he is that. He does this, he does that. And then the little sheep gets into the valley. And the language changes. Your rod and your staff. Early on, the sheep are talking to each other about the shepherd. But in the valley, that sheep is right next to the shepherd and he's talking directly to him. He's not talking about him. He's talking to him. In the valleys of your life, when God tests you, your loyalty, when he tests your faith, I'm telling you, that's when you've got to get right next to that shepherd. Because I'm telling you, it would be so easy to push him away. And if you're, if you're there this morning, I want to encourage you some scriptures that encouraged me during that time. Well, can I do that? They're not on the slide. You're going to have to write them down if this is you, right? In, my, in the season of life, when I was so frustrated at God and my circumstances, Romans 8.28, which I already gave you, we're going to talk about Joseph next week. Pastor Chris will be back in the house next week talking about Joseph. Excited about that. And in, jo- in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, I believe, Joseph said to, says to his brothers who have caused him great harm, what you have intended for evil, God has purposed for good. When people purpose evil in your life, trust that God can purpose it, reshape it for good. And then Job, who goes through all types of hell on earth, and his wife comes to him and says, Job, just curse God and die. And he says, I can't. He goes, how can I receive God's blessing and not also his curses? How, how can I follow God when everything is great and my bills are paid and, and things are wonderful and yet not follow him? I'm, I can't remember the exact scripture. You can Google it, but it's Peter. Jesus gives a hard talk. And it's, a, it's, around, it's in the Gospel of John. And after this hard talk, a lot of people leave Jesus. And he turns to his 12 and he said, what about you? Are you going to leave me as well? I said something pretty challenging. Are you gonna are you gonna scoot out on me also? Or are you gonna go back home to your old way? And Peter says this: Where else are we gonna go? What else am I gonna do? I've seen you do too much in my life. I've seen you do too much in the life of others. Yes, this is hard. Yes, I don't completely understand it. But there's no way am I gonna abandon you. Where else am I gonna go? Be encouraged, church. When you're in the valley, when it's hard, to persevere and to lean on the scriptures to pull you through. You ain't the first booger to go through it. Neither was I. Amen. God will test your faith. Abraham takes Isaac up to this mountain called Mount Moriah. The story goes that Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice, the burnt offering on his back. And he lays Isaac or Isaac lays himself down. You never read about Abraham having to wrestle Isaac. Isaac lays down because, see, sacrifices in that day and time weren't rare. It wasn't it wasn't odd for a god, remember one of those other little bitty gods, or an idea of worship for them to sacrifice someone or something for some reason. And so Isaac lays down, and a lot of the pictures, you see this picture of Abraham with his knife up really high, you know, and 
And here, because the, the the story is that right before uh, God, before Isaac, I mean, before Abraham kills his only son Isaac, God says, "Wait, right? Don't do it." But it's not this. Uh, Pastor Charlie, one of our elders, was saying, "In truth, what would have happened is the way that they would have sacrificed the animal. It wouldn't have been a stabbing motion. It would have been a slit of the throat." And can you imagine being by your only son who you love, with a knife to their throat, with tears running down your face, saying, "Lord, I don't get this, but I will be loyal to you." You promised me this. This is my only boy, but I'm going to be loyal. And as the muscles begin to flinch, and he's ready to strike that blade, whoa, don't do it. And, man, you see this whole other promise come in because Abraham passed the test. Now, here's the deal. I've got to say this because our world is a little crazy, and I don't know everybody in here. God is not telling you to do that today. I'm serious. I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know, I don't know your story. I don't know, if you're a little bit, I don't know if the cheese has slid off the cracker. I don't know, right? Here's the deal. <laughs> don't don't you dare go home and do that. You understand me? Okay. I don't want to be on a rally factor. <laughs> Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, you guys like that cheese slid off the cracker. You can use that. You can use that. By faith, Abraham, when tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Genesis twenty two fourteen. Not only does God say, don't sacrifice your son, look, and then caught in the thicket in a thorn bush is a ram. And so Abraham takes that ram and he puts it on the altar that was prepared for his son Isaac and he slits that ram's throat and he makes this sacrifice to God and he says this. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. I want to, te- I want to show you something. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. Eileen, uh, could you put that next picture up please? So this is Mount Moriah. This is uh, the Holy Land. This is where, catch this, on the very mountain where God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his one and only son is the same mountain that King David would purchase at a later date and build the temple, that, or then Solomon would build his temple. So God would have actually lived, you know, in the temple on this very mount. It's called the Temple Mount. You can Google it, right? And it's been fought over for years. Currently, you have the Dome of the Rock, and you have the uh, Temple Mount, and you have a mosque. It is primarily controlled by Muslims. You see here on the bottom the Western Wailing Wall. That's where the Christians would gather and pray to be redeemed in, in, in the things that they've lost, the Jewish folks, right, the Wailing Wall. And so, now, what's interesting about this? This is where Isaac went. This is where David prepared and Solomon built the Temple to, of God. And it is also in this vicinity that God would do what Abraham and Isaac foreshadowed. But it would be a different story. That his son also would carry the wood on his back. And it is in this area where Jesus would lay down and he would be nailed to a cross. And they would put nails through his hands and nails through his feet. And they would raise him up and eventually put a spear in his side. And right before he was to breathe his last... Instead of God saying, whoa, no, I'm not going to do it, he let his boy die. Only because he knew the rest of the story. That three days later, that in the same vicinity, 
that Jesus, this lifeless Jesus, his, air, his lungs would begin to take in air, his blood would begin to flow, his heart would begin to beat. And this dead Messiah, this dead God in the flesh, would resurrect and reconcile all people back to himself. This is a very holy place. Very spiritual. It's a real place. Isaac and Jesus in the exact same spot. Coincidence? See, this is where I think when information gets unfolded for those who are like, I don't really know. if the, Listen, this is crazy. It's awesome how God from the very beginning has been planning and pursuing a relationship and that he will do whatever it takes to get you back in a relationship with him. You may have questions. I hope you do. Join a story group this week. Monday night, 6.30. Tuesday night, 6.30. Monday night, you can bring your family, right? It's a family, kids involved. Tuesday night, we provide child care, but you got to register so that we can know, right? we gotta, we got to make sure we can't have 50 kids and two workers. That's not good, right? We want, the, we, want the, we want the help to come back, right? So register. You can do all that online. We have Thursday night at Arbor Square. We have Friday night right back here. It's kind of got a young adult focus, but not just that. So, man, if you're, they're all, come and ask your questions and learn and have conversation about what God is saying. There is a ton in chapter 2 that I cannot get to. Do you understand that? going to be great. Guys, have a happy Father's Day. Um, go get a nice big steak. And uh, I know you can follow God because it's in my brain, right? <laughs>